Welcome to the Collective Voice of Health IT, a Weedy podcast. Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Collective Voice of Health IT, a Weedy podcast, where we talk with prominent healthcare thought leaders about emerging themes in healthcare IT. I'm your host, Matthew Albright, and I serve as the Communication Committee Chair for Weedy. That's W-E-D-I, Weedy, and Weedy is the producer of this podcast. Weedy is a national membership organization where the health information technology community connects, collaborates, and creates solutions for a better health system. My day job is Chief Legislative Affairs Officer for Zealous Payments. Zealous's mission is to enable providers to simplify and save on their payments and claims. In our virtual studio, we've got this podcast producer, Michael McNutt, Director of Education and Events for Weedy. He also introduces us at the beginning of the show. Michael, how are you doing today? I'm doing good. Anything interesting in the news today? I don't, I think the news has been pretty slow lately, like crickets. <laughs> we are excited today to talk with Eric Demers, CEO of Madiket Health, a provider of solutions that streamlines administrative processes, especially for healthcare clearinghouses. We're going to hear more about that in a minute. Eric is also a former CEO of Acreon and has been in healthcare and the financial sectors for over 20 years. Eric, we're very excited to talk with you today and to have you on our show. Hey, Matthew, thanks for having me. Uh, and yes, there's not a whole lot going on in the news cycle. It's been pretty slow lately. So uh, thanks for taking some time so we can add some uh, news to the cycle these days. Absolutely, absolutely. I think this will be this will be a good thing to to put out there. So to start off on the show, uh, we like to find out how healthcare IT thought leaders such as yourself have uh, gotten sucked into this industry. All superheroes have an origin story, and what's fascinating with the healthcare industry, I think, is that many of our our leaders started off in much different disciplines, or or at least did not have uh, healthcare as a part of their life plan when they started out. And what struck me about your uh, educational experience was that you majored in psychology for your undergraduate degree. Uh, so uh, please tell us a bit more about how you went from psychology to uh, then business administration for your graduate degree and, and finally landed in healthcare IT. Yeah, no, happy to. It was an interesting time when I was in university. Um, I originally went to university thinking I was going to go to med school. Um, probably you know, somewhere around end of sophomore year, when organic chemistry and I didn't really get along, I changed that thought and said, uh, I don't think med school's in my in my future here. So I decided to think about other paths in the industry that could potentially be of interest to me and continue to move my uh, desires, particularly on the health side, forward. Uh, psychology was a great um, um, course within the, my university system I enjoyed going to. So I really focused on you know finishing my education and that psychology degree. But while I was doing that, I did a minor program that was offered at my university in health law. And I found that that piece of the business to be really interesting in terms of opening your eyes to the business side of healthcare as opposed to the medical care side of healthcare. So putting those two together, as I you know, focused on the end of my university career, I thought about what I might want to do next. So the thought of getting a master's degree on the business side focused on healthcare really started to resonate with me. And that's really what led me down that path post-school. 
Very good. I, uh, you mentioned, you know, going, thinking about med school and uh, not getting along with organic chemistry. I think it's a rare individual actually uh, who gets along with something called organic chemistry. But I think the, the uh, health law thing is interesting. Tell us, um, you just recently, uh, you at the beginning of this year, 2020, became CEO of Madiket Health. So tell us a bit more about your work there and maybe, uh, maybe what, what, what you're doing now that you're most excited about. Oh, yeah, happy to. I, I've been on a job here for a couple of months at Madiket Health. I'm super excited to be here. Uh, one of the things that attracted me to come over to this organization was their focus. Um, you know, healthcare has lots of challenges, as we know. And, but one thing I'm always excited about is who's trying to disrupt that ecosystem in order to really make some uh, leapfrog improvements in a part of the industry. And Madiket is definitely one of those organizations. It is a, uh, they're trying to apply their um, SaaS technology platform to help eliminate a lot of still manual and cumbersome um, processes that are required on the administrative side to help providers and payers do business together. Uh, it's part of the industry that I feel as though largely been left alone because there's been so much focus on patient care for the last plus decade, which has been terrific. But those challenges are still resonate with uh, everyone in the industry today. And Madiket sees an opportunity to apply modern technology in order to help modernize that part of the industry. So that's really what brought me over here, the ability to disrupt a part of the ecosystem. And I'm excited to do it. Very good. So uh, talking about disruption to that uh, very manual, very paper-based uh, kind of processes, business processes that we have in the healthcare industry, uh, we've got this pandemic. Do you do you think the, the, the this year of the mask, right? This year of COVID-19, do you think it has uh, slowed that uh, progress uh, to move past the manual and paper-based uh, business processes? Or do you think uh, through necessity, it may have uh, pressured things to move quicker in that space? I think a bit of both, and, and I'll explain a bit on, on that. So, you know, in general, COVID-19 has really hampered the healthcare system in terms of its normal business, right? So, you know, so much of elective procedures and just normal routine care that happens on a month-to-month -month basis has been postponed, delayed, uh, interrupted, so to speak, which has led to a significant amount of revenue loss in the industry for um, most organizations who provide that care. Uh, so that's been a challenge, right? So what that means, you know, limited staff, limited um, uh, flexibility to make changes, probably limited money to invest in those areas. So it would have slowed some of that. On the flip side, um, in order to respond to COVID-19, there has been a lot of removal and relaxation of restrictions, rules, laws, et cetera, uh, and requirements of um, more organizations to share information that they normally wouldn't share information, right? Not, it wouldn't have been their routine uh, business practice to do so. So by default, there's been a, a push to speed up some of that um, process of electronically integrating some of those systems in order to share that information for the betterment of the immediate challenge in front of them around COVID-19. So, Depending on which part of the healthcare business we are uh, focused on, I think it's been uh, has a different impact this year on their ability to move forward. Good, uh, very interesting. I, I think what's interesting is you're saying part of what has allowed us to move a little bit forward is the loosening or waiving even of certain legislative restrictions. Um, 
Can you talk about a few of those and then maybe more broadly, what do you see the role of uh, legislation or, or government uh, rules and regulations um, with administrative simplification? Uh, is it is it, you know, I'm coming from CMS where we thought, oh, if we write a regulation, then people will have to do it. Um, but um, I'm interested in your viewpoint on wh what the role of legislation is here. And this, this is, it, it sounds like lessening of the restrictions actually allowed things to move forward and loosen things up. Yeah, it definitely did. You know, in order to be able to respond, you know, especially from a, um, a clinician perspective, uh, many states uh, relaxed their um, credentialing requirements and licensing requirements in order to allow providers to cross lines and practice as needed uh, in the time of pandemic, which is something that normally has been a challenge for the industry. And I think that was an interesting step forward in order to show that they can be flexible. And then the question is whether that would continue. Um, similarly, you know, there's been a lot of um, relaxation on uh, FDA and other pieces in order to move things along in the industry. And I think we've seen some benefits to that, right? So not every rule being relaxed is uh, necessarily a good thing for the healthcare industry, but I think depending on uh, how it is impacting the immediacy of a challenge like a pandemic, there is uh, opportunity to be gained there. Um, but with respect to you know rules and regulations with CMS and others, you know their job really is to try and find a way to uh, move the needle forward a little bit uh, with respect to healthcare and removing whether it be a, a patient access issue, a compliance issue, a um, something around payment or quality. And they will enact pieces in order to help uh, move the industry in, in a direction that they hope to see results in multiple years down the road. Um, the challenge with some of those are not everything can be adopted or um, put into use immediately because there's a lot of legacy processes and systems that have been invested in time, energy, and, and usually a significant amount of money that have to um, be able to transform in order to meet those new standards. So with every new change, usually comes multiple years of effort in order to meet those, um, that long, that criteria that's being expected, uh, and which is why most of those rules are set with uh, adoption date that's two, three, four years down the road uh, from when they were enacted. Right, interesting. And, and you know, uh, a lot of the rules that were relaxed in licensure and others um, had to do with the telehealth, right? And in that case, uh, um, uh, certainly the loosening of those rules allowed telehealth to rocket. Um, maybe talk to us uh, uh, in terms of usage. Tell us, talk to us a little bit about telehealth. Um, uh, to 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 what extent do the legacy systems kind of still slow us down on telehealth? And, and maybe what's the future? of telehealth. Uh, we see the state legislations and uh, CMS and others that are starting to, you know, codify those those waivers and exceptions they they made. So it seems like the government's falling in line in order to make telehealth a successful place. But uh, is the, are the legacy systems going to hold telehealth back? So a couple things. So the, the pandemic of 2020 is certainly a seminal moment for telehealth. Um, it created a immediate need and expansion for that business that didn't previously exist. And we saw companies um, just skyrocket in terms of the amount of telehealth services that they were doing 
from Q1, I'll say through up until March, until into Q2. Um, I had my, in my previous role, I was working with a, an organization that saw a 3,000% increase in services over that time period, a telehealth organization, right? So just absolutely skyrocketed. And then as with all things, as more elective procedures and services and some routine things start to come back online, you see that um, that trajectory start to come back a little bit, right? So it's gonna come back down and normalize at a certain point. That normalization point though will still be significantly higher than it had been previously, right? And because many people who were um, less interested in leveraging telehealth services, whether it be the patient, the provider, or the payers in terms of how they wanna reimburse them, they were all kind of pushed into it immediately and basically uh, leveraged what they had already created, but then really had to figure it out on the fly. I think for many of them, they've enjoyed the experience, right? And there's been a, um, a new excitement around some types of services that really don't require you to go to an office or be in person and have a consult or get advice. And you should be, and the doctor should be reimbursed for that time and energy of theirs. And the payers should find a way to make it work in their benefit as well. And I think they've been doing that across the board. So I see the telehealth piece continuing to have a, a real place in uh, the healthcare ecosystem going forward, not as high as it was, you know, post-pandemic, but it'll certainly continue to have a valuable spot there. And I think continue to grow over time because people have really gotten used to um, having that available to them. And then with respect to telehealth interacting with legacy systems, I don't think it'll be held back. Um, most of the systems that have been put in place on the patient care side in the last decade have the ability to allow them to exchange patient information. It's not always pretty. I'm not going to say it's simple. Um, but at the same time, the capability is there. So those um, telehealth providers should be able to flourish moving forward. Uh, very good. So with, to that extent, uh, these interoperative rules um, the, the interoperability that, that uh, providers are supposed to have or hospitals are supposed to have uh, implementations over the next year or two years, uh, that will certainly help that telehealth uh, rocketing forward, right, or, or become a, a normal part of our day. It will, yeah. I mean, there's a lot of rules around fire and other standards that have been put forth as to how, as to how you need to interact moving forward. And that's setting the new standard of where everyone should move to. Um, but there'll still be a large number of legacy systems that will remain because they've invested a, a significant amount of money by organizations into them for the last 10 years that will have a run rate of still 10 plus years, right, before they get there. doesn't mean they can't be modified over time to comply with new rules, but it's good that we've set a standard of where we need to go. It just won't happen immediately. It's a it's like setting a, a goal and you know starting to move down the path to achieve it over time. Some will get there very quickly, but others will take them the full cycle to get there. I, I think those are great words of, of uh, a little bit of patience uh, for this kind of aspirational idea we have of interoperability in the new digital world we'll have. Um, so thank you, Eric. Uh, when we come back, we're going to continue our discussion with Eric Deemer, CEO of Madiket Health. Uh, I want to ask Eric a bit more about the financial side of healthcare uh, revenue uh, cycle management and where we're headed with that. For now, let's take a quick break and hear from our producer, Michael McNutt. Mm -hmm. 
the preeminent national membership association for health IT guidance and collaboration, Weedy has earned the title of being an instrumental force in engaging public and private partnerships, facilitating discussions, and providing a collaborative voice as a national healthcare advisor to provide meaningful changes for the American healthcare system. Become a member and provide national leadership that enhances the exchange of clinical and administrative healthcare information. Join one of our various work groups where Weedy members collect input, exchange ideas, and make recommendations that inspire impactful and far-reaching change in our industry. Learn more about how you can make a difference at Weedy.org. We're back and we're talking with Eric Demers, CEO of Mataket Health, on another episode of the Collective Voice of Health IT, a Weedy podcast. Uh, Eric, you've referred to the idea um, in previous conversations about um, how healthcare can learn from other industries. Um, and what do you think? And, and to me, this seems like, um, like you said, we've been kind of concerned with clinical uh, data um, on that end and maybe less concerned about the administrative side. What do you think that um, we can learn from the financial industry uh, that could help uh, our own uh, healthcare's billing and payments and, and general revenue cycle management systems? Yeah, almost certainly. For the last, you know, 10 plus years, the industry has been very focused on upgrading the electronic medical records for improved patient care, patient access, quality, all those important things. Um, there's been huge investments that have gone into those by organizations. And as we move forward, one of the things that, you know, that has resulted in is by making those huge invest investments in the patient care systems, the financial systems have been, you know, largely on unchecked, so to speak, or, or haven't been invested to at the same level as the patient care for good reason. Um, but now as they've kind of come through that cycle of investment on the patient care side, there's a lot of attention being returned to, you know, leveling up the financial side of their business to be on par with what they've done on the clinical side. And as you start to look at that, you look at where the legacy systems and legacy financial systems sit today there's a lot of opportunity to improve those, right? A lot of our standards on how we process claims and, and the forms and all that stuff, they haven't changed in a long time, right? So there's, there's different ways that can be introduced on how we um, transmit information and pay claims there. Uh, from a financial industry perspective, you know, the banking industry went through this 20 plus years ago or where they came up with uh, standards and how to pass data around, how to integrate financial information amongst competitive systems. Um, those things are starting. Uh, we'll get there over time, but there's a, there's a tremendous amount of learnings that can be brought in from banking and other financial institutions into healthcare and start to help those organizations be able to exchange their information faster uh, at a reduced cost in a more automated processes as we move forward here. And it seems like we have to fix the financial and update it and bring it forward from the you know two decade old uh, systems that we have right now. It seems like we have to bring those forward in order to truly have consumer driven healthcare, right? Consumer driven healthcare, we've been talking about it for a couple of decades, hasn't quite clicked. Um, to what extent do you think that is uh, because of the technology where we're not able to see what something costs right away, so it's hard for us to shop? Or is it just American culture that we just don't see healthcare as a consumer product and <laughs> maybe we never will? Uh, what, what's, your, what's your take on that? Yeah, historically, you know, there's been a, um, always been an effort around getting consumer-driven um, 
healthcare apps to be leveraged by you know Americans. And that has been a, a huge hurdle because for the most part as Americans, we don't we don't interact with our own healthcare unless we're sick. Right. So for the most part, unless unless there's a need to, you don't think about it, you don't pursue it, manage it, uh, want to invest in it until there's a reason to. And then when you get there, you want everything available immediately because it's it's such a, a major focus of your of your life. So that historically has been the challenge for consumers to get engaged. But I think over the last, you know, you know, five, ten years with the push more on on social awareness and social media and just uh, our overall ability to access personal information at our fingertips is starting to change a bit of our mentality. So if we think about all the information we have access to in our personal lives as we need it, we expect now that healthcare to be able to accommodate that same sentiment. And that's a challenge still for healthcare, right? You know, you know, there's well, there's rules and challenges around that to begin with, privacy issues, et cetera. But then just enacting and allowing some of that social aspect of consumer-driven healthcare to be set up uh, and be adopted is not really there yet. And I think that's an opportunity moving forward. Um, consumers are going to demand it at some point. They're going to want to be able to use and leverage their information just like they do the rest of their life. Uh, even though it's not top of mind in terms of them being sick or something, it'll be more about just having it be in line with everything else that they expect. So as we move forward, I do see consumer-driven uh, healthcare having a lot more influence in the industry. Uh, there'll be a lot more choice. Uh, I think there'll be a lot more transparency around cost, and it will then drive how consumers want to engage in their healthcare. And do you think the uh, COVID-19, the pandemic, has has pushed that forward as well? I mean, we talk about healthcare now every day. It's the it's in our headlines. Uh, we're talking about it at our barbecues with our friends, with our family. Like every every time we talk to somebody, it's about healthcare. Uh, to what extent do you think that has pushed forward the consumer idea, uh, consumer-centric healthcare? It absolutely has pushed it forward, right? Uh, it's To your point, it's in the headlines and the news cycles every single day, and often leading the news cycles every single day, right? And as you think about, it has made every individual think about their own personal health and their family's health in, uh, in, a, different, in a different light. Um, and now they're thinking about it proactively. And what do I do to protect myself? And what do I do to uh, have a better you know, lifestyle? Uh, what do I do uh, related to it's affected my work? It's affected everything, right? So uh, as we sit home, uh, largely and work from home and school from home. Um, you know, most of what we do is being accessed online, right? So as we do that, we're going to want to be able to access everything about us online, including our healthcare. Uh, and so I think the you'll see a much more increased activity around that as we move forward, and the general consumer wanting to have more um, ability to probably both have patient services as well as just patient information available to them at their fingertips. I, that's actually very, uh, that's an excellent point. And I hadn't really kind of thought about it at like where we do 
the things we do. Like you said earlier, consumer-driven healthcare, right? We we probably hasn't caught on as Americans because we think, oh, we're only going to think about it when the appointment shows up and we have to drive someplace and get a checkup or something bad happens. We have to drive someplace and go to the emergency room. But so much of our lives now is shifted to uh, me at the desk, right? Where I look at what my bills are. I look at what the stocks are doing. I look at what it, what my kids are doing in school and whether they did their homework. And now, you know, as part of that little list we go through every week might be our health care is, is the next thing we'll check. It's almost like the locale has changed and that might constitute as well a, a discussion with my doctor uh, or booking a, a, a talk with my doctor through telehealth, right? So it's almost like how we give and access and think about health care is shifted right into our into our into our living rooms, into our wherever we sit with our, our mobile phones, right? Absolutely. And I think um as healthcare continues to evolve in terms of how consumers take advantage of healthcare, it won't be as traditionally it's all reactionary, right? You only in, you only participate in the healthcare system when you're sick, right? So you know you're coming in uh, reacting to something that is happened to you, unfortunately, or um, or it's required for a job or something like that, a checkup or something to the degree. But I think as you move forward, you know, a lot of healthcare is going to evolve to be much more of a lifestyle, uh, much more proactive. Um, there'll be multiple touch points um, throughout the week and month on things related to your health, whether it be your eating, your fitness. You know, um, a lot of uh, tech companies are in this space now, Apple and others, Fitbits, right? All that starts to come together and make it to a, be a much more of a lifestyle, proactive focus on health, not just a sick uh, side of the industry. And I think when you start to move in that direction, you, you, you have a reason to engage with it on a more regular basis. And then it becomes more of a top of mind um, item, just like banking or something else is. You, en you engage with your financials on a you know, weekly, monthly basis because you, you're getting paid and you gotta pay bills, <laughs> right? Or for some other reason, right? There's a reason you wanna interact with it. Historically, there hasn't been a reason to interact with your health care unless you were sick. But as we continue to evolve to a more of a proactive lifestyle of health, uh, there'll be multiple touch points, I think, which will then help drive some more of that going forward. Very good. And so I think you're, you're kind of answering this next question already. Uh, where do you see healthcare care post-COVID-19? Um, where do you see this country going in five years, 10 years? What's our health care going to look like? There'll be a lot more consumer influence on how we, um, how healthcare is performed. Um, there'll be a lot more, there'll be a lot higher expectations, I should say, maybe from a consumer perspective. They will want to continue to provide their input into their own health, which is a great thing. Um, historically, that hasn't always been the case because people find it to be daunting and they're not an expert, so I'm not going to supersede or give my two cents on something. Um, but now with so much information available to all of us and our expectation that we are part of the decision-making process and just part of the healthcare process in general, well, consumers are going to expect more, they're going to demand more. So they're going to want to be able to um, have access to incorporate healthier things into their care plans, right? They'll want to um, have more choice over where they have their procedures done and where they go for something. I think um, depending on where health plans go in terms of structuring 
their um, their plans to consumers and you know and how they uh, reimburse them, they might be more um, more desired by the consumer to understand the cost of the healthcare that they're consuming and have a choice on picking a place that is more reasonably priced for what they can afford, right? So I, and and as we move into some of the new price transparency rules that are coming forward there'll be a lot more data available to people to look at. There's a flip side to that too, which is just because there's more data available doesn't mean that they understand it, right? So there'll be some time where there'll be a leveling off period for several years where we have to come around on that. But I think as we move forward into the next five years, there'll be, telehealth will continue to be here and continue to grow. There'll be a lot more desire by the consumer to have access to their information on demand. They'll want to understand them at a better level, the cost of what they're paying for that care. And then, and then lastly, they'll want to be informed. They'll want to be part of the decision-making process. Very good. Very good. So I, I very much appreciate, uh, I think this is an important discussion, Eric. Uh, I, I, I love the view of, of what it's all going to look like in the future. Uh, before we sign off, do you have any um, resources or, or things you'd want listeners to think about or check out uh, to give them more information? Yeah, I think there's well, there's tons of great resources around healthcare out there in the industry. Um, thank you for having me on the show today. That was I've enjoyed the time. I think from my, where my focus is right now and my organization, you know, we're very focused on you know, how do we help and disrupt and automate um, the provider and the payer side of the industry. So. Uh, I'm always publishing papers and putting information out online. You can check that out as well uh, through our website at manicahealth.com. But um, I'm happy to answer questions going forward for for uh, anyone who is interested. Um, and look and want to say thank you for having me on the show again. Well, thank you, Eric. Uh, it's been a pleasure. I think it's been a great discussion. Uh, this has been with Eric Deemers, CEO of Medicate Health. Uh, and one of Weedy's primary functions is to keep health plans and hospitals and, and other providers educated on health IT. Eric, very much appreciated your time and expertise you're giving to us today, and we look forward to having you again. Sounds great. Thank you, gentlemen. Very good. This has been the collective voice of Health IT, a Weedy podcast, where the health information technology community connects, collaborates, and creates solutions for a better health system. You can find this episode and many more on our website, weedi.org. Thank you all for joining us and be safe.